Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Good morning. Right, so as I was saying, the seven churches of Revelation. Today is the second church of the seven in Smyrna. And for those of you who are visitors or have forgotten what I spoke about last time I was here, I'll quickly give you the format that Jesus addresses to each of the seven churches. Jesus starts by introducing himself. Secondly, Jesus addresses good and bad points in the churches that he's speaking to. And thirdly, Jesus blesses the church in question. And the reason that we're looking at these seven churches is that although we're talking about a period 2,000 years ago, a lot of the issues still apply in churches today. So, today we're looking at Smyrna. Probably most of you have no idea where that is. I have to admit, I had to look it up on a map. It's present-day Izmir, which is 50 miles north of Ephesus, which was the first church of the seven. And it's about 50 miles east of the Greek island of Chios, if anybody's ever been there on holiday. In Bible times, it was a very large city, and it was very, very Roman, and eager to embrace emperor worship, which was part of the Roman way of doing things. Subsequently, worship was very difficult, and it was a difficult place to live there if you were a Jew or a Christian, because obviously neither would allow you to worship the emperor of Rome. So that's the background to the church in Smyrna. Let's get into what Jesus has to say. And the first point that he addresses that I want to look at is in verse 8, where he says that he is the first and the last, the one who died and who came to life again. By introducing himself as the first and the last, Jesus is telling us two very important things about himself. Firstly, he's telling us that in him all things were created. By him nothing was created that was not made. And there is nothing after him. He's before all things and nothing comes after him. This is what Paul says in... Um, let me just check my reference. First Colossians 16 to 18. I think we've got that on the screen, have we? Yes. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So by addressing himself as the first and the last, Jesus is telling us there is nothing before him, there's nothing comes after us, after him. He is all in all. But he's also saying something else very important. 
If we turn to Isaiah 44, 6, we get these words. This is what the Lord says, the Lord Almighty. And I want you to notice there that the word Lord is totally in capital letters. What that means is it is the divine name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. This is what Jehovah says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. So when Jesus addresses himself as the first and the last, he's actually telling us that he is divine. He's God. He's one third of the Trinity. Also in Isaiah 48.12, we get pretty much the same thing. Listen to me, O Jacob Israel, whom I have called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. So Jesus identifies him as God. He also tells us something else very interesting about himself. He says that he is the one who died and who came to life again. This tells us something very important about him. Namely, that he's not just the author of creation, but he has authority over life and death. And I want you to notice the order here. He says, the one who died and who came to life. If you read books about people who are famous, it will tell you when they were born, and it will tell you when they died. But here it says he died and he came to life. In 1 Corinthians 15, the issue of Jesus' death and resurrection is firmly addressed. And we're told that if Jesus did not die, and if he did not rise from the dead, then our faith is useless, and we are still in our sins. For the church in Smyrna, as we will see, Jesus' authority over life and death was particularly important because the Jesus would go on to tell them that very soon there would be a 10-day period during which some of them would taste death. So let's move on now to the good news and the bad news about the church in Smyrna. And I have to say that, to be honest, it's mostly bad news. In verse 9 of our passage that we've looked at today, he says, I know your afflictions and I know your poverty. In many parts of the world today, Christians have been persecuted for their faith. And there's a tendency on our part to see this as something that happens far away in other countries. But it's increasingly the case that in the so-called civilized West, being a Christian can be difficult. It can lose you your friends. It can lose you your family. It can cost you a promotion at work. It can lead to people accusing you of bigotry and narrow-mindedness and much more besides.
just to give you a taste of some of the things that are happening in the so-called Western world. And I may have used this example before, but I'll use it again because it's worth noting. In Malta, a Christian man was recently charged with promoting gay conversion therapy simply because he gave his testimony about how he overcame the gay lifestyle. And that's in the name of equality. So in the name of equality, if you're a straight man who wants to come out as gay, you can tell everybody and get counselling. If you're a gay man who wants to come out as straight, it could get you fined or even put in prison. And that's in Malta. So much for equality. There was also a case recently in Northern Ireland. Now, some of you may have heard about um, the former leader of UKIP, Nigel Farage, had his bank account closed because the bank didn't like his political opinion. What you may not know is that there is an organisation in Northern Ireland which offers counselling for people who are gay but want to come out of the gay lifestyle. They had their bank account closed as well by Barclays. I'm glad to say that they sued Barclays and got £21,000 out of them. But this is what's happening in the world today. We're facing persecution and it is only going to get worse. But Jesus also said, I know your poverty. Some Christian leaders are accused of merely being after your money. Ever heard that one before? Now, of course, churches need money to run. We can't do without it. But here at ICA, I can assure you, we're not just after your money. In fact, for a lot of Christian leaders, being a Christian leader means taking a vow of poverty. And this is what the church in Smyrna were experiencing. They, they found it difficult to do business. They found it difficult to buy daily necessities. It was a hard time. But Jesus said some very encouraging words to them in verse 9. He said, yet you are rich. In biblical terms, Richness is very different from worldly riches. The church in Laodicea, when we eventually get to it, they were a church that were materially very rich, but they were spiritually very poor. The exact opposite of Smyrna. And no doubt God can use some people who are rich in the wealth of this world to benefit the church. We're standing here today, well I'm stood here today, you're all sat down. We sat here today in this beautiful building because of some very generous donations by a wealthy benefactor. But for most people, being rich 
in the riches of this world is not a good thing. In Job 36.18 it says this, Be careful that no one entices you by riches. Do not let a large bribe turn you aside. The first part of that is what I want to bring your attention to. Be careful that no one entices you with riches. Don't be rich in the way of this world and be poor in spiritual things. Proverbs 11.28 tells us the same thing. Whoever trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And finally, Matthew 19.24. This is actually... In all three of the Synoptic Gospels, you'll find it in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to share something with you that goes back a long time in my life. When I was in my 20s, I had to, as part of my accountancy training, study economics. And the subdivision of economics was the role of advertising, which is a very interesting thing to study, because we all get adverts in our, on our phone, on our television. We get free newspapers which are full of them, and we tend to ignore it. But there is a science behind advertising. And the science is it takes stuff that you didn't know existed and makes you think that you want it. And when they've made you think that you want it, they will try and convince you that you don't just want it, you actually physically need it. A good example is the mobile phone. I'm sure a lot of you can remember way back when mobile phones just looked like house bricks, didn't they? And they were very expensive. But then they came down in price and people thought, ooh, I quite like having one of those. So they spent money on buying a phone which would just make phone calls and send text messages. And then somebody thought, let's make phones that you can email on and surf the net on. Phones that have a satellite navigation system on them. And lots of other stuff that you probably never ever use. And then once we've got people to buy those, we'll convince them to buy another one that's got even more gadgets on that they don't use two years later. As Christians, we need to be different. Because a lot of people will say, I need stuff, when actually they just want it. But it doesn't sound right to say, I want, I want, I want, does it? We're English, well, most of you are. And in England, it's not the done thing to say, I want. I would like, or I need and the sad thing is, people spend money on things that they say they need when they really just want them. 
They spend money and they, they have to work overtime and they don't have time to spend with their wives or their kids. And marriages break up and kids grow up to be disrespectful, disobedient. People rack up large debts because they think, I need this. I really need it. And most of the time, you don't need it. But what you do need is Jesus. And in his address to the church in Smyrna, he goes on and he says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not. The background to this is really quite interesting, I think. To be a tradesman in Smyrna, you would have to go to tradesmen's dinners. A bit like going to the Masonic Lodge. But in Smyrna, mixing with tradesmen would mean that you would start the meeting by praying to the emperor. Then there would be lots of eating, lots of drinking, and afterwards they would be cavorting with prostitutes. Now, needless to say, Christians couldn't indulge in that sort of thing, and so they couldn't trade. And really, neither could the Jews, but the Jews had an exemption. They were an exempt religion. They didn't have to go along with praying to the emperor. They didn't have to go along with all the orgies. But the Christians were not exempt. And the Jews tended to look down on the Christians because they didn't have their special exemption and they weren't able to trade like they did. And as I was preparing my notes, I thought about this situation and I thought, it's a little bit like church history, isn't it? What do I mean by that? Well, if you look back in church history, when the Protestant churches separated from the Catholic churches, they were persecuted by the Catholic church. And then when the Wesleyan churches, the Methodist churches, split off from the, from the, the I was going to say the Bank of England, the Church of England, the Church of England persecuted the Wesleyans. Some, some years ago when I was a young Christian, I actually, I actually went on a coach trip to Epworth, which is, um, it's not so far from Doncaster, if that helps anybody. It's where the Wesleys were born. And do you know, John Wesley, when he started preaching, the Church of England rejected him. They kicked him out. But his father, Samuel Wesley, had his grave at the church. So John Wesley used to go and stand on his father's grave and preach the gospel because the church wouldn't let him in.
you have to ask the question, if another move of God were to happen, would we accept it or would we reject it? Would we see ourselves as being the latest thing and rejecting this new movement or would we not? In Isaiah, God says, Behold, I do a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Would we perceive it if God did a new thing? I think in some cases the answer would have to be no. I'm not saying that we swallow every last little thing that comes our way. There have been a lot of false moves of God which weren't actually moves of God over the years. But we need to have discernment to recognize the real thing. In verse 10, we see some familiar words from Jesus. He says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The church had been told that they were going to have 10 days of persecution and some of them were going to die. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid. Now, some people, and you've probably heard this in church yourself, come out with nice sounding platitudes and say, There's 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for each day. I've got news for you. I had a look in a concordance, and there isn't. Of course, it depends on which version of the Bible you're using as well. But sometimes dealing with fear is not just being super spiritual and saying, I'm not fearing. It's about feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Now you might think, how would I feel if the church was persecuted to the point that some of us were going to be killed? Would I feel fear? I think you would. Would you overcome it or would you run away? Would you deny your faith? I watched a video by David Pawson in which he made a very interesting point on this issue. And he said, the Bible tells us if we are faithful in the small things, God will make us faithful in the bigger things. And it makes me kind of wonder, maybe we don't have persecution in the Western world because we're not faithful in the small things. And I'm not looking at anybody in particular or pointing the finger. I'm just trying to be honest and get you to ask the question of yourself. Am I being faithful in the small things? Because if you're not being faithful in the small things... God is not going to give you anything big to deal with. In the case of persecution, you may think that's a good thing, but if it's a case of dealing with the persecution or denying your faith, we really ought to be saying, I would rather endure the persecution.
So rather a bleak message to the church in Smyrna. But Jesus concludes on a positive note by telling us two things. The first one is, I will give you the crown of life. At this point, I'd like to show a photo if we've actually got it on the overhead. This is a very old photo, so it's not the clearest, but it, it does give you an idea. This was taken in Smyrna in 1890. And you can see the city on top of the hill there. And you can see that it looks a little bit like a crown, doesn't it? In fact, it was known as the crown of Asia. So when Jesus was saying, I will give you the crown of life, he was acknowledging to them, yes, I know where you live. I know it's called the crown of Asia. I know it's a rich city and you're poor. But I'm going to give you a crown that will last. I'm going to give you a crown that will not perish. That will not rust. And that cannot be taken away from you. And that promise is for us today as well. If we follow Jesus. Secondly, Jesus said, those who overcome will not be hurt at all by the second death. I know most of you know what that expression, the second death, means. But just in case you're a visitor and you don't know, or you've forgotten, let me remind you by reading from Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and all that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Have we got verse 14? Yes, we have. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. I said earlier that all people, famous and non-famous alike, have a day when they were born, they have a day when they will die. That's the first death, and none of us is exempt, unless Jesus comes back again. If Jesus comes back again, that's great, isn't it? But there is a second death which is worse than the first. This life is temporary. We're just passing through. But there's a time coming when we're, 
things will be eternal? Will it be eternal life? Or will it be eternal death? Jesus spoke some very important words in Matthew chapter 7. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Let me ask you this morning, which road are you on? Are you on the road that leads to eternal life? Or are you on the broad road that leads to the second death? Only two people can answer that, you and God. But I want to urge you this morning, I want to encourage you, make sure that you are on the right road. If the road that you are on looks quite wide, if it's easy, it's probably the wrong road. Will you discover too late that you were on the wrong road? I hope not. And I'll leave that thought with you. And I'll just quickly pray. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you died so that we might be free. You died so that we might not taste the second death. Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs to be on that narrow road and they're on the broad road, I ask you to open the eyes of their heart. Show them the right way, the right road to be on. That they may glorify you and honour you. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.rcatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.